Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcast, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual, Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey for engaging more deeply with your life. I provide stories from my own life and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means the world to me. Welcome to Belonging, a podcast that explores how to come home to yourself in the age of loneliness. I'm Becca Piastrelli, your host and guide on a journey of courageous reconnection as we explore topics like ancestral wisdom, cultivating meaningful sisterhood, living with the seasons and cycles of the earth and your body, and what it means to be a good ancestor. Hello and welcome back to Belonging. It's Becca Piastrelli here. Thank you so much for listening. Seriously, I am feeling so grateful. This podcast started as a experiment back in August, Lunasa season, first harvest season last year. So maybe it's like six months old. Is this our six month birthday? Happy six month birthday, Belonging. I love you. I'm really loving using my voice in this format. And I think I was, to be honest, I was feeling a little burnt out on blogging, on writing, which is really interesting to say because I know a lot of people appreciate writing. And I think my writing voice is perhaps one of my wisest voices. There's something about slowing down my energy and my head and my pace and my heart and really working to find that right word and really seeing words and language as spells and and cultivating that message through writing is so powerful. And yet I found myself hitting a little bit of writer's block and feeling like I owed you writing every week and and not being able to drum up the energy for it and created this really interesting, kind of funny thing some of us do where I felt guilt and resentment and like basically spinning around and around in this thing that I did to myself where I created this expectation of my own self that I was going to just freely write every week. And the fact of the matter is, is I am a seasonal and cyclical being. And sometimes we need quiet or sometimes the words don't flow through our fingers. They flow through our throat or they flow through song or they flow through meditation and internal work. 
And this was all timed with winter and moving and all the other things. So this is my long-winded way of acknowledging that I too go through these moments of like, wait, what am I doing? And what matters here? And really what matters here is sharing with you vulnerably and authentically my journey of belonging and sharing what I've learned along the way and amplifying the voices who are doing the work and are finding the flow when I can't. So I'm loving talking. (laughs) In summary, I'm loving talking right now. So here we are again for another week where it's pouring rain outside. I like to talk about the weather and I don't think that's a silly thing. I think it's an ancestral thing to acknowledge where the weather is at in the natural world around you. And I noticed that that's a big thing in the winter for each of us to acknowledge what's happening. Are we feeling cold? Is it snowing? Has it, how many days has it snowed for? What is the temperature? I am looking out my window. I'm halfway up a hill and it is steadily raining, but The flowers in front of my office window, of which I feel a little bit sad, I don't know what that plant is, and I haven't prioritized IDing it, but it smells divine and it's blossoming. And I hosted a new moon circle last week, and my friend Katina Mercadante flew in from Connecticut and stayed with me, my first house guest. And she, when we gather together, she makes altars, the space in the center of the circle where there is a candle lit and sort of focuses our intention and sacredness when we gather in circle. And she likes to forage around my homes or where we are to create a nature altar. And she had chosen those blossoms. She asked me what they were. And I said, well, I don't know. I got to find out what that is. But in this rain, I have been noticing the hummingbirds coming to feed on the nectar of these blossoms, which feels like such a blessing Anytime we see a pollinator, right? <laughs> Just that thank you so much for pollinating and continuing the cycle of life. And this rain is kind of feeling like a bummer. I recently found out I'm very low in vitamin D and I'm really craving some sunshine. And that feels like an ancestral late winter thing. But I'm also very grateful for the water from the sky. It's a beautiful, beautiful February afternoon watching the rain fall. And I have been thinking about what I wanted to say today. And I think I want to talk about the dark side of sisterhood. I Googled that term and there's a lot of articles with those words, (laughs) dark side of sisterhood. And um, I think that just really illustrates how hard It is to cultivate meaningful relationships with your fellow women and kin, folks you want to be in relationship with, whether they identify with as women or not. There is this word sisterhood that I I have used and continue to use. And what's interesting is in my burgeoning social justice advocacy and my encouragement of my own self to step in more deeply to what it means to be inclusive and intersectional, I've noticed the word sisterhood is starting to make me feel a little nervous to use because there is so much tenderness around it, particularly when you talk about issues of gender and ableism and, and race. You know, there's this 
there's this criticism, like what kind of sisterhood are you talking about? White woman sisterhood, able woman sisterhood, thin woman sisterhood. Like, what do you actually mean? And when you say sisterhood, who are you not including? So I've been really sitting with that, thinking about that, because I know that sisterhood is, is one of the most important things in my life. And when I found it, when I came to a healthy version of it, I should say, in my late twenties, it, it was fuel. It became fuel, continues to be fuel for my own rising and my own healing and my own way of being a better ancestor and healing so many parts of my life that have had leaks, you know, the leaky bits, being able to sustainably plug those holes in my life to be held by a circle or a community or whatever word feels resonant to you of women who hold the vision for your highest healing, your highest potential, who love you in the deepest, most vulnerable, most tender parts, who shine a mirror to the ways in which you want to overcome patterns or habits that aren't serving you or that are being repeated in your lineage or in your community. I mean, sisterhood is not for the faint of heart. And I don't think any of us are faint, (laughs) you know, it's a practice. It's a practice. It doesn't come easily for most of us because most of us haven't had healthy models of sisterhood in our lives. It's certainly not in the media, right? I um, am proudly open in saying that I watch reality television delightfully. And um, I'm really into the Real Housewives franchise. And lately, I've been really into this show, 90 Day Fiance. And the reason I share, I used to feel really ashamed of it, but the reason I share about that is I'm having a moment like, oh, Becca, have you talked about this already? Because I probably have, but let me talk about it again. Is um, I used to feel a lot of shame about it. Like, what's wrong with me? Why am I watching these things? It's like such a dark and caricatured archetypal show of humanity that isn't always positive. And I had a lot of arguments with my husband about it because he said, this is literally the stuff you're against, Becca. And yet I think it's, it's like the way artwork sort of informs culture. I find that watching these shows where women are catty and betraying each other and crying over their hurt and trying to one up each other, whatever it is, it's, it's the shadow work. It's the shadow work of sisterhood for me. I know I have a lot of friends who love the show, the bachelor, which is truly a look at the shadow of of the history of patriarchy in which women must fight each other to feel secure with a man, to feel like they aren't, that they're going to survive in capitalism. And there are so many more layers and elements in there around what does it mean to feel loved and worthy of love and, and sisterhood, you know, these women together in a house fighting over a man and, and what is the dynamic there? So all of this is to say that we don't have a lot of positive modeling in popular culture of sisterhood, but what's very evident, I can see clear as day in all of this, in in media and popular culture and the conversations about the dark side of sisterhood and the mistrust of what 
sisterhood means is a craving for it, is a deep and powerful hunger for connection, for that sense of, quote, the village. You know, so many, some of my friends, particularly when they become moms, are really feeling the lack of the village, the lack of of being able to fall apart in front of one another and ask for what you need to appear in need, to need help, to be available to help another. Ooh, we're bumping up against some like pretty intense feelings that our culture is showing us around mm, connection, around connection with other women and how we'll appear and how we'll be judged. So this dark side, let's talk more about this dark side. What is the dark side of sisterhood to you? I find that nearly everyone I work with or talk to about this has that story, at least one, if not more, about maybe it was in elementary school or high school or college where a woman was particularly cruel to them. Maybe that woman was a blood sister or a mother, or maybe it was in a sorority, or maybe it was the bully on the playground. Maybe it was a deep, deep betrayal of a friend that you really gave your heart to and really trusted. Yeah, I'm not going to deny these these sorts of things, these stories are still being perpetuated in culture. I mean, there is the whole shrew archetype of the woman who is combative and the woman who is catty and the woman who can't be trustworthy. I mean, then there's the whole sexualization of women that women will steal your man and whatever it is. There's there's a lot of narratives in our culture that reflect this sense that women can't be trusted with each other. And there's lots of theories on why that is. I was just deep diving on research before I hopped on the mic. And what really feels true for me, because this is not something that can be necessarily proven, is that this is based over thousands of years of the rise of patriarchy and capitalism. And so those are like two big words that I often use, sometimes really generically and perhaps confusingly. But I think what's important to know whether those words create a confusion or not is that we know we live in a world where traditionally, historically, the women of our lineages have not had the rights that the men of our lineages have had, right? And this has continued today where the tradition is to take the name of the man, if it's a hetero marriage, and the woman's name is lost, right? So it's like my maiden name, my maiden self is actually my father's name. And I've actually been thinking about after last summer traveling to Maine with my mom and my aunt and really deepening into the roots of my maternal line, which uh, last name is root is if maybe I would change my name or infuse in some place, the naming of myself, her name, my mom's mom's name, which is her dad's name. Uh, It's kind of a mind F, but this is 
I digress a bit. This is all to show that women have had to, in order to survive, to be fed, take care of their children, to live, to adhere to the rule of law of society. And yes, each, each generation becomes slightly more free, but we are still working on getting ourselves free from the system we live in. So I like to always take it back to the burning times, which if we're speaking from an ancestral perspective of myself, which is European, we're talking about the 1200s with Pope Gregory and then Pope Innocent, the Inquisitions, and then in the 1400s, the publication of the Malleus Maleficarum, otherwise known as the Witch's Hammer, which is really worth taking a look at and also practicing deep grounding and breaths because it's horrifying. But this was a time when there was a very coordinated campaign by the church, which was the highest power in the land, to murder powerful women, women in power, land-owning, wisdom-holding women. And the use of the word witch, which before this time could have various meanings, mostly woman of wisdom, woman of power, woman of knowledge, woman of healing, into something evil, something bad. And over the next several hundred years, throughout many lands, and to this day in several cultures, still goes on. Actually, I was watching 90 Day Fiance, Happily Ever After, season two, and there's a whole storyline playing out about this family, oh, it's a long story, this family goes to the Dominican Republic because this American girl is marrying this Dominican man, and the family goes to the Dominican Republic for their Dominican wedding, and they go to this little village where the man's grandmother lives, and she's cooking in a cauldron outside and there are chicken feet and this whole thing around, Oh, she's a witch. She's practicing voodoo. My gosh. And I thought this, these are the remnants of this. I laugh because it's so frustrating. I guess I'm just, that's my coping, but this is, these are the remnants of a time that is still is so damaging to women and magic and our connection to the earth and our connection to each other that it plays out to this day. So the connection I'm making to the dark side of sisterhood is that in order to survive, in order to save their children, millions of women and children and their male allies were brutally murdered to encourage the submission of the people to a new way of life. And they would often have to turn in each other for being healers, for being midwives, for being seers, for being wise women or men or people in order to not be burned or tortured or terrorized. Neighbors turning on neighbors, sisters turning on sisters. Think about that and having to watch it. And in, in this perspective of epigenetics, the trauma travels through the body through generations that we hold in our DNA, the traumas of our ancestors, if we do not work to heal them and clear them. This to me makes a lot of sense. 
why women feel they need to be careful around each other. I mean, think about all of the survival instincts our women ancestors have had to learn and take on in order to feel safe. And so many of us still don't feel fully safe. But we are also remembering, I think, our cravings for deep sisterhood, for connection, for the village, for matriarchy, whatever it looks like to you. Maybe it's just to feel vulnerable and safe to fall apart and just cry with another woman. This is what I would characterize as a remembering to go past the surface and say what's really in our hearts to finally feel safe and eat with each other. This is a hunger and a hope for what was once different, what was once safe to be. And in order to heal this, we must practice it. We must be willing to show up just as we are and circle with women to share our truest selves and see the places where we are still perpetuating harm, where we are not being inclusive, when we have blind spots, unconscious bias, because we are human and we are ancestral beings and we are a product of all of these systems and frameworks that have shaped society today, whether we agree with them or not. And so the dark side of sisterhood is, is always present. To be in true sisterhood is to say yes to a deep and powerful initiation. And with that initiation, we have to look at the hard stuff. I have had to look at the hard stuff. I've had to face the fact that because I crave belonging so much, there was a time where I really tried on the mean girl. I really tried her on and it felt awful. I'll never forget this day that I helped plan on the playground. I think it was fourth grade to walk into the middle of a field, all of the girls, and then one of the girls was one that we were rejecting and othering. And then we said, go, and we all ran in different directions. So she would be alone on the field, wondering what's going on. Oh, I feel such sadness in my heart for that experience. And I remember when that, when it was finished feeling so shitty. And that's important that I felt that and experienced that. Turns out mean growling isn't that fun. I've had to look at the ways I have perpetuated uh, white supremacy in my gathering with white women, perpetuated ableism, perpetuated this exclusionary way of being without, you know, even with the best of intention, oh, but I didn't mean, you know, looking at all of that saying, okay, maybe I didn't mean it, but look what's happened. Constantly asking myself this. I have been in circles where women have fought, where women have had to walk away from each other, where women have just not felt safe with each other. I have, I have had deep moments of feeling super challenged by the way another woman is. This is the dark side of sisterhood, and it's worth it to stay. Because when we face the shadow, when we shine the flashlight of truth on it, it shrinks. It doesn't hold on to us anymore because it's really tiring to live your whole life saying, well, I'm just a, I'm just a guy's gal. That sisterhood stuff's BS. I'm no chump. I'm not that, I don't do that stuff. Whatever it is. 
It's worth it to actually say beneath all of that is a craving for connection and being a part of creating it and healing it, being able to cry and shake and recall those stories, those stories of betrayal and hurt and the part you played in it so that we can claim meaningful and inclusive and powerful sisterhood in our lives. It's worth it. It's really, truly worth it. So I invite you to think about what stories you were modeled or played out around intimate relationships with women and how you can use some courage in healing them. And maybe just just take some time and journal or chat with a trusted friend, sister, but what it is you want that you're not getting? What is it you need? Here's a classic one. Our mothers modeled martyrdom. I hear this a lot. Our mother's generation modeled never really doing anything for herself, that it was all about giving to others. And so there was no time left for her and women couldn't be trusted. So she was lonely and put all of her energy into her children. And so there's a codependent dynamic. This is just an example. And so what I hear a lot from people who have that story in their lineage is, I want to feel like a sovereign queen surrounded by sovereign queens where we aren't needy with each other, but we trust in the reciprocity of exchange of not trying to fix or heal each other and trust that each woman can say what she needs and trust that each other woman can give only what she can give. That's the power of a healthy circle of sisters. To be able to express boundaries with love, be able to heal wounds, to talk out moments of challenge or offense, to face the shadow and heal it. Because sisterhood is truly, I used to say rocket fuel, but I'm like, meh. Fossil fuels doesn't really align with my values. So like, what is the earth equivalent of rocket fuel? Compost. Sisterhood is the most nutrient-rich compost for our own rising and flourishing. It's true. Thank you for listening today, for taking a look at the ways uh, sisterhood has felt hard or challenging or shadowy in your lives. And if always, as always, if you have something to share, whether there's something resonated, a story to share, you know where to find me. Instagram at Becca Piastrelli. Thank you so much for listening today and I will see you very soon. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I know your time is sacred and I hope this episode infused some inspiration and meaning into your day. For show notes, links, and references from this episode, you can go to belongingpodcast.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to Belonging on Apple Podcasts, and if you have a moment, leave a review. This helps my little podcast reach more listeners, and I would be ever so grateful.